Should I put music at the end of this one? I don't know. Whatever you think. Yeah. You're okay. the pod. You're the pod boss. So. Okay. At the end of this episode, uh, after the doodly doots, stick around for a second. I'm gonna play this song that we got permission to play. It's by a bunch of tribal citizen youth from the uh, Central Council of Clinkett Ida and uh, features Arius Hoyle, who is an uh, amazing rapper doing awesome stuff here in Southeast. Okay. Cool. Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Yes. And this is our continuing our series of mostly kind of weekly updates of the legislative session it's uh day 69 of the session we did a really good job of the weekly check-ins until i went to comic-con and then we got behind but we're back it sounds like it looked like it was a lot of fun though so can't blame you too much no and well i mean it's it's fun and it's work and so it's like the best of both worlds so it's uh i'm very happy that that is my job so do you get to go down and do like a booth? What do you, what's actually, what is the, the Alaska Robotics Roadshow look like? Yeah, yeah. So I take a bunch of my prints, my artwork and uh, uh, like individual comic strips and shirts and merchandise and things like that. And I go down and set up in a little 10 by 10 booth down at the comic convention and people come from all over the place and pick up a thing and take it home with them and have a calendar with bears on it sitting on their fridge at home. This year we took our uh, our neighbors from the Trickster company down there with us and they uh, did very well too. It was a lot of fun. Uh, they've got some really cool contemporary Clinkit form line work uh, and it's they're a great indigenous design company. Cool. Well, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah. You've been missing out on a lot of action in the legislature um i feel like we would be we're going to be kind of like limiting our discussion today a little bit because i think if we tried to catch up on everything it'd be too much i think even if we were really like had done the podcast last week we would still have a ton of stuff i mean so there's there's all this sort of drama around the the budget meetings that are coming up the governor's got so we we went to a couple the the house had their meetings this weekend um the governor's going to be having his road show uh that he um just so happens to be sponsored by a lot Americans for Prosperity. There's um, the budget is starting to be closed out in the House where they're adding all this money back, but maybe it's not going to be added back. It's this whole other thing. Um, Alaska Psychiatric Institute continues to be a disaster. Um, there's a lot of fights brewing around VPSOs. There's a big ferry demonstration this week, and there's Medicaid details and uh, the governor's judicial appointments, everything. So uh it's been a busy week yeah it uh i i just kind of tangentially kept track of it uh over twitter and the ak leg hashtag and it seemed like there was a lot going on every day and i i I really couldn't keep up from afar so yeah i mean and oh and not to mention there's there was like a there was a series of of like controversial things with appointees as if that whole process is uh we as if we could never get away from that whole kind of yeah. Do you mess. have a body count? Like, is there is there a number of like, is there like a website devoted to like oh, all of the failed? I, hey, shh, uh, we gotta cut cut that out. We gotta put that. I gotta go. That's a, a blog post right there. Okay, I'll edit that out. But no, no, I'm kidding. You don't really need to. But yeah, I think the, this week we had at least one more go down in Trevor Shaw. Uh, his replacement, it sounds like, is already out too. Who's this guy from Fairbanks? It's like super long uh history of like real estate related lawsuits that they wanted to put on there so yeah 
Anyways. Are, are we at a baker's dozen yet? I don't think. I think we're past six, though. Now. Okay. Yeah. And huh. I mean, it, well, and it doesn't, right. you know, that doesn't even reach into the non-legislative appointees, too. So mm-hmm. there's a whole other kind of realm of interesting and weird things going on there, too. So. But that said, all right. I think well, yeah. I look forward to your to your summarizing all of these. I think there's enough people now that it needs to be collected somewhere and, and yeah. memorialized. Um, so what's the uh, the other thing? That, like, isn't the governor? This is a thing I just read since I got back. The governor is like willfully violating the Constitution, and the GOP is egging him on. Is that like an actual thing that's happening, or am I just? Yeah, you know, mis- I think um, misreading that. Yeah, I, you know, Alaska. I feel like the, so the, so far into the the Dunleavy administration, we've been writing like a five to a six on like the Trump scale of things. I think, as far as like, you know, rampant you know, people lining their pockets in, in some ways and, and, and sort of dubious policy making and, and, and not, and not entirely qualified candidates for all these various boards. Um, so now we have, uh, yeah, the governor deciding that he doesn't want, he didn't like the group of people led, um, that the Judi- Alaska Judicial Council put forward. Um, and the Republican party seems to be on board. You know, the, the constitution says he shall, like he, there's no, there's no, uh, no optional, uh, nature in there. It doesn't say you can, if you don't like the appointees and you want to appoint a really conservative justice, that there's any way for you to do that. So, it's, so uh, does that, what is, how does that unfold? Like, does that become a, does he take that to the courts and then the courts have to officially tell him that he's violating the constitution and then, and then know, he has to follow it or i don't like where does that go in the next couple of weeks i don't i don't know actually i'm not really I, so the uh, supreme court uh justice wrote an opinion about it that basically also said that dunleavy was flouting the uh constitution in it um you know i before we've had governors who've followed the constitution so it's kind of one of those like we haven't crossed this bridge yet sort of thing yeah so. it was interesting to me because it's it's like a, it's a Stat, it's like a statutory deadline and a you know it, it, it's not like he accidentally passed a deadline i can see that happening i think there's so many laws on the books that you, you're like oh oops hey i'm new at this and I, I missed a deadline but it seems like this is an actual um philosophical disagreement with the constitution and his method of disagreeing with the constitution is to just not follow it and that doesn't seem like a good precedence to be setting no, I mean, especially for somebody who ostensibly likes the Constitution. Right. Well, and ostensibly <laughs> wants to put, like, a lot of things into the Constitution who would like to change. For someone some who likes it, the Constitution, yeah. he wants to make a lot of changes to it. Yeah, so. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. I think it's, it's for me, I don't know if I've, like, fully, like, understood the implications of it, but I think in a lot of ways it is kind of this, like, oh oh no moment you know i guess i'll save any expletives because we don't have a we don't want to get into the adult rating of this podcast but like i think there i think this is like the beginning of like a really problematic time. i mean a lot of people who've been it paying attention a would a lot of people who would be paying attention for a while would tell you that like a lot of stuff has been like troubling and bad so far and i would i would more or less agree but i would say that like you know, the Constitution seemed like a document where everyone sort of agreed on, but... Um... Yeah, the, the, I feel like we kind of touched on this in our episode about candy cranes. Remember when we went to Bullwinkles and 
yeah. like, talked about like different policy. We got into this point of that conversation that was about you know why why we make rules and why we keep them on the books and things like that and and how important it is to follow them or else it means that all the other rules don't have any sort of meaning either. Uh, so it's just right. from a just from a leadership perspective, it seems to me that it is very important for the governor to at least appear to be following the constitution and to be, uh, you know, appear to be trying to do his best because if he can just sort of like willy nilly decide which pieces of the constitution and which pieces of Alaska statute that he doesn't want to follow, he doesn't really set a great example for everyone else. Uh, no. And, and then the system kind of breaks down and falls apart. And, well, and we it, have this, with this careful, carefully fabricated, illusion of uh security through our shared rule book and if we all just if we agree on the shared rules and follow them then we can function as a society and if we disagree on the rules then it's chaos and anarchy hey that's the kind of the general thing yeah i I mean i think it's really weird especially when you're considering that you know he's putting forward a bunch of changes related to the pfd it's you know um he wants to put in the constitution he wants to the legislature to agree to you know pay three years out of it in the future um which is also something like it's a lot of these things he wants to do kind of require people to follow the law and respect statutes but then at the same time he does he's not following them for ostensibly a political purpose because he, he would like a more conservative judge on this on this position and so yeah, I mean, I guess this is kind of what we've been seeing so far is like a, a very, really hyper partisanship, you know, and it's like, is this another move to own the libs, you know, and it's like, I think that's kind of, we'll get into this in a little bit, but like, you know, uh, we, we've been talking about a lot of public testimony lately, and uh, so there's, last few days, there's been all this uh, town halls, uh, uh, people talking about the budget to the legislatures, and one of the things I, I keep on bringing away from it is a lot of people talking about how um, this budget and this kind of administration is so ideologically driven right now. It's really driven to be a kind of a concern. You know, it, people talk about Alaska as sort of the next testing ground for the for the failed policies that were work so well in Kansas, you know. And so yeah. um, I saw I an interesting rep- yeah. report on that recently. It's like they... I don't know how sim- you know how similar we are to Kansas or not, but I think that we we see that in the news actually this week because uh, Stephen Moore of Ardwin Laffer and Moore, um, you, you know, a, a, a associate of Donna Ardwin's, uh, has been offered a position at the Fed, and so all of this criticism is coming out now about how his policies and involvement in Kansas have, uh, you know, how cat- cat- catastrophic they were and how negative they were for that state. So there's there's actually a lot of um, people reflecting on the Kansas situation right now, uh, and it has an interesting tie to our very own OMB. Yeah. Well, and, it, you know, and I would point out, too, it was uh, not just disastrous for the state, but disastrous for a lot of Republicans in that state. You know, it's a we've got a Democratic governor now. Um, clearly didn't work. Clearly didn't people didn't like it. Um, well, so... I mean, so what are people in Alaska saying? And, and I think that that's kind of where, where we're at right now is like the the House Finance Committee and the governor are both trying to go out and um, get feedback from Alaskans and in, in different ways. And yeah. in, and some in some ways it looks like 
they're trying to build support for whatever case they're trying to make. But in other ways, they are actually going and seeking feedback from people. So I participated on Friday in the uh, uh, the first part of that uh, House Finance Roadshow. They they started in Juneau, and it was it was a really great meeting. They had um, a very very brief presentation, and then they just opened it up to public comment. And it was the most free ranging. Uh, philosophical public comment that I've ever heard, and it was uh, probably 70 people deep, but there were 100 plus people there. It was the overflow mm-hmm. room was overflowing, and they had people over in some other building. In Anchorage on Sunday, the line is all the way at the building. Yeah, I mean it was yeah. standing room only, basically. It was yeah, it was it yeah, really interesting conversations. I would say. Yeah, and it was really heartening to see all these people come out. I mean, I know I'm in my in my Juno liberal enclave bubble here, um, but the people who came out and spoke were almost unanimously uh, in favor of doing something aside from what the governor has proposed. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, you know, they spoke very from very they told very personal stories and about how the budget would affect them and change their lives. There were some really passionate moments um and impassioned people uh but at the same time there's like little kids running around and the door on the fire escape was open and there's kind of this like warm summer breeze kind of blowing in and it was a it was a really nice evening to hear from people and it was a nice and i liked to i liked hearing what they had to say and how did it go in anchorage anchorage is really interesting it was you know i would say like 60% were really kind of against um, the Dunleavy budget in kind of all forms. Uh, I'd say about the, you know, 30 remaining percent were actually this kind of interesting sort of, well, I'll talk about, there's a 10% that was on board with the Dunleavy budget, you know, they wanted to cut everything. And then I would say the kind of remaining group of people that were sort of in the middle um, kind of had this sort of interesting perspective where, you know, I think they were talking. They were they were kind of the everything's on the table. Um, uh, you know, let's let's talk about a tax. Let's talk about a smaller PFE. But also, let's be talking about kind of what services we want in Alaska. You know, I think a lot of people were 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 actually kind of pushing for like cuts need to be a part of this discussion. Is I think so. There was actually a sizable amount of people still advocating for a smaller government. I would say, but I think a lot of it was saying don't. A smaller government, but but not if it means cutting from um, student, you know, children and elderly and um, the those in need. Um, so it's kind of right. it was, it, was it, it. I think it was really good conversation because I think you know you pay so much attention to Juno and and AK Ledge Twitter. I think you kind of forget that there are so many constituencies at play and there are so many different kind of ideas at play too. I think a yeah. big thing is that. Well, I mean, the, the big conversation right now is, you know, just how big of a PFD are, are we going to have and how much government are we going to have? And it's kind of like those appear to be the two dials anybody's interested in. But, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about potential taxes. That was ex- that was, hold, can we stop for a second there? That's that's exactly where I started my testimonies, because I when I sat down at the table, they had their third slide was still up and it was a list of services in one bar stacked up against a PFD in another bar. And, and I, the first thing I pointed out is that 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 is a, we're being being given a false choice between a PFD and state services, because 
and I don't know why this is, but everyone's trying to narrow the argument down to like, do you want your PFD or do you want these state services? And we're not talking about, people at the meeting did talk about this, but largely our leaders are not talking about uh, changing the the oil tax regime or instituting income taxes. And those are two levers that like, we're hiding. It's like we have this giant control panel that we can do an infinite number of dials and knobs, and we're we've got the two biggest ones disabled. Right. I think that's that's I think what the I think if if somebody was if legislators are listening to this, I think that should be really the take home take home message from from this is that the public is looking for not just reductions of the PFDs. I think a lot of people do understand that, you know, cuts to the PFD are the largest adverse impact or whatever the word that, you know, this budget budget hawks, I guess, for lack of a better term, use. Um, you know, it, it is a, a tax on every man, woman, and child, a reduction of the, the PFD. You know, it's a cut to them. And so I think there really does need to, there really is a call for some balance in it. And I think, you know, whether that is an income tax, whether that is, you know, what kind of shape that is, whether it's a sales tax, you know, I don't really support that either. But like, um, you know, I think I think that's a really interesting conversation. I don't know if we're going to ever really reach that in, in the legislature right now. And I kind of I kind of wonder if that's by design, if right, if I, I, that's what I think, too. Yeah. So I think. I mean, a lot of the, if you look at the the kind of the median income of a lot of these legislators or the average income of a lot of these le- legislators is that they all kind of are relatively wealthy people, especially those in the Senate. And, um, oh, shoot, my fan just went on. Let me just go run and turn it off real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah go get it. Go get it. Yeah. Yeah, you look at a lot of these legislators, and I think they're kind of like on the on the more wealthy end of things, especially the Senate, which is where you really see a lot of the pushback against any sort of taxes, and really without like I would say without a lot of reasoning either. Yeah, and in the House, you have such a delicate coalition that you know even the people that favor taxes, they probably kind of just have to be off the table for the sake of the coalition. Yeah, because I bet I mean I think a lot of those Republicans are just ideologically opposed to taxes. And although I think you would talk to a few of them and they do get the, I, I think that an income tax makes a lot of sense. I think it's a good way to basically um, bind the state government to the economy more directly. So, you know, we talk about these ups and downs that are so yeah. kind of tied to a commodity price, um, which is why I think when the governor calls his budget like stable and, and predictable, it's, not true because you're binding it to a a commodity that can go up and down so wildly why do you think people are ideologically opposed to income taxes that's something i don't quite understand and maybe you can help me with well i think i mean i think it's i think it's i mean mostly to do with just politics right it's it's the party that you belong to and so you know i think republicans are just and they they view themselves as anti-tax and so i think they are ideologically in the in the sense that they ideologically know that it's bad politics i think to propose something like that so so it's not so much that they don't like an income tax is that they it's that they are very keenly aware that making people pay money is not something that will get them elected i think so so it has less to do with their own values and more to do with 
the elected stuff well, or i mean like, i mean because I, I don't think that's i think there are i think that people are kind of ideologically opposed to an income tax not because of elections but because they don't see a value in paying into government like they they think yeah. that government might be in it's it's so inefficient or whatever right right well and especially if you if you i mean if you do look at it you like so if you look at the the you, that chart that you were talking about at the house meeting where it stacks up the P, the cost of all these services against the, the pfd like people have been noticing that this like quote unquote deficit that we have is about the size of the pfd that we're paying out and so i think there there's a understanding there that um if we had a zero pfd or like a hundred dollar pfd that we wouldn't need taxes. Like there is a world in Alaska where you don't need taxes at all other than the oil companies where, I mean, I guess you would, you know, like if you were operating the, the PFD, like some kind of um, endowment where it's, you know, spinning, if you, if it was big enough, it was like twice the size or, or three times the size, it would be able to kind of spin off money and you could run your government off it. Like there's, there's a world in which that would work. And so I think maybe that, I think that's kind of part of it too, is that like, if you really could eliminate the the PFD completely, the government does kind of pay for itself. I think for some people like that, for whom the PFD doesn't really matter, I think that's a pretty appealing way to look at it, you know? Right. And I think it's hard to keep keep in mind that there are people who do rely on the PFD and who do yeah. need the PFD and who have kind of banked on it arriving every, you know, like this is like, it's gotten me through the winter before, you know, it's yeah. both as a student and as a small business owner trying to get my business off the ground. There were times when the PFD landed in, in October and saved my butt, you know, it's, yeah, it's, well, uh, and I, I think, think it's hard. It's easy for a lot of legislators to forget that because they've got right thick enough bank accounts. Yeah. And I think, I think that's kind of part of the discussion that a lot of actually, I heard a couple of testifiers in Anchorage today talk about like, remember that it's not just like these kind of, you know, generally well-educated people who are yelling about taxes and reducing the PFD and, and supporting government services that are, are at play here, right? Like a lot of poor people and, and, and older people or disabled people or people who really do rely on state government, like their voice really isn't, I don't think, is really being heard to a, a particularly high degree in any sort of fashion. And so, um, and those are the people for who, like the, you're right. The PFD really does, really, really does matter. Like a lot of people in rural Alaska too, and um, and so I think to see that that kind of lost out for for the budget discussion to be simplified down to PFD or state government is is kind of frustrating. And I'm glad to hear that a lot of people are talking about it. So the House Finance Committee met in Juneau, Ketchikan, Matsu, Bethel, Kenai, Anchorage, Fairbanks, and Sitka. Do you, right. you went to the Anchorage one. I went to the Juno one. Do we know how any of the other ones went? I can tell you, this is a report I got from Sitka is about 130 people came out, 40 spoke, and most of them supported flat funding, uh, and would favor reducing a PFD, uh, so that government services stick about half said they would also support a state income tax and about 10% expressed, uh, dissatisfaction over oil tax credits. Laughter and applause broke out when Alaska resident Kathy Bowling said there are conservative households who are really concerned about the Dunleavy budget and the person who put it together. I have eggs in my refrigerator that have been in Alaska longer than she has. Hmm. I like that quote. 
<laughs> Anyways, I was wondering, do we know how any of the other... Uh, how did it go in Matsu? Like, I imagine that that so, would be in stark contrast to my experience here in Juno, right? Yeah. So I, I just saw tweets from uh, a few of the senators who, or a few, few of the representatives that um, were at it, and they all seemed to characterize it as glowing support for the Dunleavy budget and cuts and full PFDs. I think that's something to really unpack someday. It's just the political difference between attitudes between Matsu and the rest of the Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> because so. I'm looking at Fairbanks here. They said that for every one person that supported it, about eight people spoke in opposition to the budget. Uh, a lot of uh, opposition to, you know, looks like a lot of desire to cut the PFD or so. Um, uh, support for some taxes. Uh, yeah, actually in Anchorage, I did hear a lot about um, the oil and gas tax, taxes and That's... tax credits here. Uh huh. So a lot of people talking about cutting that. I think there's kind of a growing attention at least to the um, per barrel oil tax credits um, that they the, the that uh the foregone, foregone revenue yeah the foregone revenue is it really if we yeah. repeal it do we really get that revenue or not i mean well it's not it's not money that we are taking in and then redistributing it's just money that they're writing off on their on the taxes that they're paying us right so right it's as foregone revenue it, if we eliminated it we would then receive it right yeah unless there's some other fun accounting trick that they can do to reduce their liability which i'm sure that they are very good at yes yeah um i man i don't it's oil tax law has got to be just such a complicated field to to get into there's got to be some people in the state that understand it very well but i doubt that very many of them are employed by the the state government right i think that's got to be really hard to retain that talent right yeah i think that's um no, I think that one. That's one of the things that works to their advantage a little bit. I think uh, you look at let anytime legislators start even talking about fiddling with stuff, you see kind of the 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 power hitters sort of show up to to shut everybody oh, back in line. I've already seen a bloom of like faceless, uh, you know, pro oil accounts uh, appear in the AK leg hashtag on Twitter. There's just like these like alliance for oil making good oil alaska decisions just uh, like popped yeah. up all of a sudden you know and, and you're like, like oh, okay here they come it's uh sound the alarms yeah i mean they need to watch i would say you know uh someone like a you know a kind of a, a populist socialist sort of kind of candidate i think you know maybe in the vein of sarah palin you know back in og sarah palin i think Mm-hmm. Um, I think Alaska would be kind of ripe for that right now. I think uh, sort of a progressive candidate without the sort of baggage of um, Begich um, or Walker, oh, I suppose. Uh, I Are think... we already talking about the the elections in four Probably, years? Probably, yeah. <laughs> like it's never, yeah. We've got to start looking ahead to the future. It cheers up at this point. But yeah, I think there is kind of a... Uh, I think there's definitely a possibility for some people to get very angry, I guess, just to, when you start realizing about how wealthy some of these companies are and when you're asking people to give up you know child care and 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 uh you know charging more exorbitant schools. rates for your seniors and schools yeah. and all that sort of stuff so yeah Anyways. yeah well it's it the thing that was really heartening was to just see people come out uh all across the state and to be a part of this discussion um i think we're going to see a lot more i i I think we're gonna see a lot more during Dunleavy's roadshow when he goes around the state 
whatever format his his talks take, I think that there will be a lot of people there, maybe not necessarily to participate in his sit quietly and listen to our five experts thing, but I think that, well, that outside that, the outside the door there will be some lively protests probably. I mean, that's what's wild about this, right? Is that it's I think it I think it actually displays like a really interesting ideological difference between um, the governor's side and I guess everybody else, which is that the House went out there, their whole thing was to listen to the public, right? And the fact that they're listening is like a big deal to me as somebody who likes government. The fact that Dunleavy's going out here and it's like a listening thing for everybody needs to sit quietly and listen to him talk, I think that says a lot about the kind of like deeper ideologies and sort of like cultural differences pop probably. Like I think it, I think it's, um, I don't know, I think it's really frustrating to see that um, his idea of of getting people on board, it, it's that people need to get on board with him, and if they only sat and quietly listened to him, then they would know how great his thing is, whereas right. he's, like, refusing to listen to the public. Yeah, and he's I not, think, like, that's part really of democracy, right? Avenue. It's like, yeah, it's like, I think you need to be able to, like, petition your, your government, and, like, I think... You know, people talk about how the election went and how that was some sort of mandate for it, which is crazy because how little he really talked about his his platform during it. But also, like, the public's allowed to change their mind, too. Like, they could have said, oh, we really wanted a PFD, but now that we see what it looks like to have a PFD, maybe we don't. Like, I think both of those things can be true. Right. Yeah, I think Anyways. I think you're right. I think the public does need to be given some latitude. I don't think that whatever happened in November, like now we're seeing the details of it, and now that we're seeing the details of what you know, the now that we're seeing the whole deal, we we're allowed to say, ah, maybe that's not the deal I want. Yeah, um, and and, the- I, and you know, like I I read a op-ed that um, Representative Revac wrote today that that kind of upset me, and it was about how people need to. Uh, not be so emotional and uh, I think it's okay to be emotional if if you're you know losing the backbone of your local economy or if someone's like gonna force you to move out of state because you're losing your child care and your job and your family's uh, senior care or what you know like I think there are a lot of people under a lot of very real pressure and I think that uh, the don't be emotional uh, (laughs) response isn't a good way to listen no to, and to what is a genuine response yeah you're right like you can look at how some of these changes like you look at the senior changes just alone like the the, the increased rates to the pioneer homes um the uh changes of senior benefits programs um you know so the governor sort of like he got on twitter in like a really weird way this last week where he was saying like false oh, we're yeah. not kicking anybody out that's not true it's fake news <laughs> and it's and it's like okay well maybe yeah maybe you're not kicking out people this year but you know how many seniors are on those waiting lists waiting to get in who won't be able to get in because you're proposing much higher rates now and and your your way to take care of these higher rates is only applicable to the people that are currently in there and so like i know a lot of people who are on those waiting lists that will be going in like us basically as soon you know a lot of people get on them before they are in need but i mean it's just you look at any of those situations and like if you can't treat your seniors with a little bit of dignity, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I think that that speaks a lot to me about the kind of values that they have or don't have. I think you look at like yeah. low income. I've seen I've been to some low income housing for seniors in Alaska 
And it's like, it's heartbreaking, you know, the, the sort of stuff that they're providing at these kind of the most bare minimum levels is not particularly good. Like, I wouldn't feel great if my parent lived or grandparent or, or family member lives in one of those. The Pioneer Homes aren't those, you know, there's some like seriously good yeah, care that is being going great. on in those places. Um, they're really valuable. I think there's they kind of providing a care that's not even available in a lot of other places in Alaska. So like. You know, like you'd be if you were a senior right now, you'd potentially be looking at like going from being able to retire and live out the rest of your life in Alaska to like you got to go south. You have no other option anymore because the only kind of care that's available in Alaska is now too expensive for you. Or, or you're put in a position where you're having to live with family and, and feeling like a burden on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a. And so like to, to say that you can't get emotional about it, like it's just so. Like I'm getting emo- I guess I can get emotional about it right now, but like I, I you sound yeah, like <laughs> I really care about like Matt. Don't be so emotional. Yeah, I, like I think that you look at look at the kind of um, lives that seniors have in Alaska, and there's just not the, it's it's just it's an important issue to me. Yeah, like I, I just I think that you know we we kind of owe it to some of these people to at least let them live with dignity because I've seen what it looks like when systems don't give seniors dignity and you know you talk about people living these incredibly lonely lives and i just don't think anybody deserves that but i think that's kind of how this budget is like shaping up and so yeah it's like if you if you have the means to take care of yourself and to take care of your family you're going to be okay don't worry about it everyone else is completely screwed yeah and i think that's it gets back to the whole point of this kind of false decision between um, the PFD and, and services. And I think going ahead, I hope people really take away from these meetings that it, it, there is more to the discussion between having a PFD and having, having somewhere for your seniors to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a like one-to-one ratio of like you, you, if you increase this, you decrease this. There are a lot of other options on the yeah. table and, uh, there are a lot of other things that we can do. Um, you know, if, and, and maybe, you know, like I, I don't think that we should necessarily make deep, the kind of deep cuts that Dunleavy is, is advocating for, but I'm not opposed to like reasonable, well thought out, like adjustments to how we spend our money. There certainly are, are things in government that can be done better or more efficiently or, or not done at all. But I, but this is just such a ham fisted, like a ideologically driven attempt with and then there's no it's not driven by information it's being backfilled with with data so this is what i think we should do now give me the numbers that prove it and we're barely even seeing that right and and we're making you know they're they're like with a ferry system for example they're like this last week they they canceled their rfp and are putting out a new one for a new study to look at what to do with the system and that's not going to be due out until I think after the budget is done, and so or or at least very close. And so, like we're making all these decisions, and and we're commissioning studies, and and all this sort of stuff, like basically after we jumped over the cliff, you know, like we're we've, yeah. we're, we're ordering the parachute off of Amazon as we are stepping foot out over the ledge, and it's just, uh, you know, I think I'm. I think it's been tough. I, it is I, interesting that I, we're... So I didn't testify today, and I kind of, I, th- I don't think, I think 
I've been thinking about this a lot about like what would I say, and I think part of me being a journalist or former journalist kind of prevents me from ever really talking about it too much. But you know, I think for me, I look at this and I look at the cuts to the university system, and I think like I watch the university system get cut, and I watch you know, my potential future get cut along with it because. You know, I think as I've gone through journalism in Alaska and sort of gone through the ups and downs of it, I always kind of had in the back of my mind, like, well, I can go back to school for something. Um, I can go learn about something else. Maybe it's economics or maybe it's, you know, whatever kind of kind of issue that I'm going through through that at that time. And um, so to see it be cut like that's that's the future that I kind of, that I want to be part of it and would keep me here. But I, I look at it and I say, well, if the university is going to be cut so deeply, then maybe I should look at going somewhere else. And and it's it's really tough and frustrating to be to be feeling like that. It narrows your opportunity, right? And and it, it takes my takes my potential and whatever I could give back, you know, with that education, um, takes it to another state. You know, I I would yeah like right now I am really actually seriously considering um, going back to school for uh, counseling, like uh, um, some social work sort of stuff. Like, yeah. And wow. um, and there's a program in Alaska, and, I, you know, it's something that's been on the back of my mind. I, I'm liking what I'm doing right now a lot, so I'm not really in any, any hurry to make that decision. But, you know, if it, if it really changes a lot, like, yeah, I'd probably look at going somewhere else for my education. And, and it would mean, you know, I'd be making the connections in that community and that career path in a different state and and that would be a huge loss of institutional knowledge yeah and i think there's a lot of people going through that sort of decision making right now and it's not i don't think right now a lot of people are making these big sweeping decisions but i think it's starting to shape the decisions that we are making you know do do people buy homes right now do they start investing in construction and i think you know none of this has been put into stone yet you know there's still a huge process ahead and but i think that see even seeing this attitude like this is just it's just frustrating i think it's frustrating as as an alaskan it's frustrating as somebody who wants to continue to be here in alaska yeah and i look at someone like you and i and you've covered the legislature for a a long time you're one of the what you're i think the second longest person covering the legislature you have all this huge body of of institutional knowledge that to see that walk out of the state and to not be like put to use like that's one of the biggest problems we have in the state is that when our institutional knowledge goes away then we're then we're not making informed decisions we're we're making the same mistakes over again we're not moving forward because we have no trajectory just start kind of like rudderless and spinning around in circles and so you need this long arc of institutional knowledge to lead us to the future and it's amazing to me how many people don't remember the vico scandal how many people don't remember uh you know the exxon valdez oil spill which you know today's the 30th anniversary of the exxon valdez oil spill and the only place i read about it was on the, the alaska landmine you know there's like what's the like why isn't that i don't know here hold on let me before i besmirch someone let me go to the adn and see if that's the front page and it's not okay so like it it seems like we just don't have it in our calendar it's not built into our brains because we have so much turnover in this state uh that a lot of our stories get lost and then we're sort of just doomed to repeat them yeah I mean, I think I agree. You know, I think I look at a lot of the newspapers that I've worked at and, you know, there's kind of a rotating set of people in a lot of those positions where, 
you know, I think, you know, you build up, you know, I worked, I've covered the, the, the assembly there for a long time. And, you know, there's, it took a long time to get to understand, even begin to understand what was going on with some of those things. And to see that kind of, I mean, I don't know why it is. I think, you know, maybe there's, I'm kind of, I'm rambling at this point. Let's see. Oh, good. I found an article. I found an Exxon oh, Valdez article. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm rein, reinvigorated. Yeah. I found a, uh, Charles Wolforth wrote a 30 years after the Exxon Valdez have Alaskans forgotten his most important lessons. <laughs> All right. There you <laughs> Which, go. Hey, there you go. Look at that. And it was, it was below the fold, but, uh, there you go. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's why I think like, like having people like <laughs> actually like having people like Charles Wolforth and, and Dermot Cole and those sort of people who yeah. um, are still active in, in it and are active voices and kind of unleashed voices in some way like Dermot is, I think is, is really valuable. And I think that, um, I think that's, that's why I don't feel as completely hopeless about the situation yeah. as I think I might, I mean, like. The whole, like, veto, the fact that, like, the governor has a line item veto power, like, does keep me worried. But I think that the fact that we have so many people who care across the board, I think, is really big. And that's really important. And I think, you know, hopefully the legislature can build a majority that can override some of these vetoes. Like, you know, maybe the university one would be a good one or the education or the senior cuts. If they could just agree on those that they won't allow them to veto. Um those sort of thing, and and you know, I think those sort of coalitions we've built by people who understand the process and who have who have that long understanding of how Alaska works. They know how to build those kind of coalitions. There are a lot of people that are still like that and is, are still active in, in Alaska politics and in, in a lot of other realms. And I think that that's I think what keeps me keeps me sane. I think uh, in times yeah. like this, yeah. I I think the other thing that helps me out is that is knowing there are a lot of people out there who do know do have a lot of this knowledge and know it know it better than i do and 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 as well as you do and uh they are just have to be kind of silent about it because of whatever their job is you know they're like a, a assistant attorney generals or they work for the state or they you know or they have a job that's sort of in a precarious uh position like uh, or maybe they're a lobbyist or something there's a lot of people who have been around and who do have this deep deep set of knowledge about our state's history and and do uh weigh in with like a guiding hand but they can't be as like outspoken about it i think as um you know as, as people yeah. in the press or as or as you know a private citizen in a weird position like myself can be yeah. but uh, anyways i um trying to leave on a trying to leave this on a good note it'll be i i'm excited to see more testimony. I'm excited to hear more voices. Um, I'm really, really, really glad that people are engaged, no matter what they're saying. I'm glad that that everyone is realizing that this is going to impact them and that they are turning their attention towards it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a great turnout. It's a great showing. And uh, I think it's going to empower the legislature and the governor to make better decisions. I hope so. Yeah, I agree. We still have the governor's roadshow to look forward to. So we'll see. Maybe he maybe he'll win everybody over. <laughs> oh i don't yeah well yeah. This, yes probably i'm already one over yeah uh, on a more positive note i went to the uh state basketball championships uh last night it have been saturday um watched the the big schools play and watched ketchikan uh boys beat um diamond in That's overtime amazing. and yeah. it was the most amazing game of basketball 
It's probably about the fourth game of basketball that I've ever seen too. So it was great. Were they were they like the underdogs? Yeah, I think they were. They were the eight seed, is what I saw people saying, and they beat oh the number God. one seed. So yes. So they oh, did a I great job. It. Oh, it was great. It was a fantastic. That's game. great. Yeah, they played really well. Yeah, I gotta say I'm a little like personally personally conflicted because growing up in Juno, K High was our like arch rival, like arch nemesis. Oh, yeah. So. Like I was, you know, the kid that could draw cartoons. So I always got to draw like, all right, let's draw me some fish that are dead here underneath a crimson bear, you know, like, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. Hey, you kid, you draw me some, draw me some beat up salmon over here. Um, (laughs) we got homecoming coming up. It was awesome. Uh, though. But they, I, I think that's great. I'm glad yeah. that a Southeast team won state and I'm glad that catch can did it. And I love it when an underdog wins. That's yeah, it awesome. was awesome, too, because I mean, the, the entire is Alaska as at the Alaska Airlines Center was filled up. You know, it was all kids from all over the state, you know, that have been participating in this basketball tournament. And so actually about I would say a sizable majority of people were rooting for Ketchikan. So when they when they won, uh, really just w- just exploded. It was awesome. I mean, people really cool. were really rooting for him. And it was, I think it was just a really kind of heartening and exciting thing to see the underdog win like that. That's great. Yeah. And that's that's a good note to go it out go out on here, I think. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Just let the underdogs right. win more often. Yeah. All right. Go get them, underdogs. Goodbye, Alaska. See you later. Okay, you ready? I'm excited about this. Even though we're northwest, we still rep the southeast. Sit back and I will tell y'all something about me. Y'all not smoking cannabis, this is just some sin to me. You misunderstanding me, I do this one for family. It's second nature, we got a mental hall glacier. It's gonna captivate you, so you know this record major. Became the native gangster you, thanks to you. Ain't no breaks to fool, this is Juno. Ain't no angoon. The Kodiak, I follow my zodiac. We can feel this paper, so come here and bring my homie back. These bars are rolled up to represent the totem. We move in the canoe into the beat of our own drum. I did like Scotia, I write my Makuhita. Turn on the lights, I like Sagan with Zena. As long as you're on the all of us, you're not a failure. Always wearing yellow, but need the clothing regalia. I pick those blueberries. I love my mom. I smoked a fat pound of salmon. I picked those blueberries. I love my mom. I smoke a fat pound of salmon. I'm not Jesus, but I'll cross you up. I'm the basketball corner, and that's a tall order. Only y'all a small shorter. Not even close to the height of Slinger Folk. You're trying to write a stinking joke. Don't ask to leave, we can basket weave, shoot basket threes and practice three man we sound sweet. The best step of stairs, we be getting instant glares. Well, I guess it is a fair, we'll be billionaires. Soldier for the culture, hold your coat to shoulder, pull us over. It don't matter to us, all I want now is my cuz. People hitting, they said the West isn't maybe the best. Does that really make sense? The rest are just ladies and pests. I picked those blueberries. Man, I love my mom. Understand? I smoke a fat. Yeah, I pick those blueberries. You feel me? I love my mom. Dearly. Yeah. The 
languages and anguish is a good example of what we can manhandle in this panhandle. Yes, we're busy, man, but since she ended, and this is our land, and it began with just us the same way it'll end. Yeah, hunting efficient, always something for tradition. My mission is the vision of my indigenous men and women from long ago. Let them rise up out like elevation. The reason raven and ego people do celebration. When life gives you lemons, make it lemon. I'm sipping every time you're downtown, then you'll never die. It's a clementine, having heavenly times. Not to get too deep, but live it out like a movie. Yeah, got DNA in my DNA. We the native demon A, demon A. Game will never be the same. I picked those blueberries. I love my mom. I smoke a fat pound of salmon. Yeah, I pick those blueberries. I love my mom. Everybody does. I smoke a fat pound of salmon. Stick how you on. Gunas chish. Swing it like a tongue. Ach, kani. Ask it to. Ach, to was a good. Ka chash nuwu. Ka ach at u. Kuki kanada. Ach, tla exakan. Hin adana. I want out the gun, see you that with the gun. Flag is on, just cut one. Now you cut it's a gun. I that's a gun with Sina. Gunas chish kuhida, gunas chish kutia. Way yes, a day and a kin. Hande it's in, hande it walk. Guide the knock, ya do hat, yao dene, ya at une.